Matthew chapter 27. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. Hey, while you're turning there, a couple uh, of uh, other things. We've got refuge tonight. So again, that's just a time of, of worship and prayer and, and waiting on the Lord. Great, great time. So 6 o'clock tonight, you can come out for that. Men, the Bible study's getting ready to start up on Wednesday or uh, a new study. On Wednesday, the book of Galatians. So uh, guys, you can come out for that. The note says, all you need your Bible. So there you go. N- no textbook this time. So guys, come out for that. And then also, just encouraging the ladies. It's getting closer and closer to the deadline. So the procrastinators, you've done it long enough. So you're good. You've held out. Good job. Now go get registered and, and let us know you're coming, all right? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do... Uh, Look forward to what we're going to read, what we're going to hear, what you're going to say to us today. And I do pray, I pray for all of us, Lord, that our hearts would be open and receptive, that we would desire to hear from you, that we would want, God, you to speak truth and life into us, and that you would feed that inner man, that, that we would be strengthened in our faith and encouraged so that we can, Lord, be the men and women that you've called us to be. Thank you for letting us live in this time, Lord, where we have opportunity to to share and to be involved with people, not just here, but all the way around the world, God. And, And so, Lord, we wanna take advantage of that. So give us ears to hear, give us those hearts that are pliable and soft and ready. And make this time count, Lord, not just a time where we read a, a, a part of your life that, or really a part of the end of your life while you were here, Lord, and, and in human form, but make it, make it real to us and change us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we begin today, the first couple verses of 27 really better belong with chapter 26. And, you know, last week we were tight and I didn't, I didn't bump them up there, but really they're better there than they are. And you need to know something, the chapters and verses in the Bible are not inspired of God. God didn't, like when Matthew wrote, he didn't sit down and write chapter one, verse one, verse two, he just wrote. And then eventually, People broke them down into chapters and verses so we would know where we're at. Like this morning, go to chapter 27, verse 1. Instead of going halfway through your scroll or halfway through your book, open it up to page 65, and on the right-hand side, halfway down, that's where we're going to read. We can have these references, but sometimes they're, they're, they're not a great break. So I want us to remember we're kind of in a continual story of Jesus and that those mock trials, those, uh, those uh, horrible kangaroo courts that, that he had to live through. And so today, we're going to have to answer one question. What do you do with Jesus? 
That's what Pilate asked. What am I going to do with Jesus? And every one of us needs to answer that, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. You've got to do something with Jesus, and, and you need to decide, what are you going to do with him? You can either accept him, make him part of your life, and as a believer, you can accept his will for your life and follow him, or you can reject him. It's up to you, but you've got to do something. You can't avoid that. So we're going to look at that basically towards the end, and then as we get a little bit into the study, we're going to shift a little bit, and today we're going to talk about a difficult topic. We're going to talk a little bit about suicide because of Judas and what goes on with his life, and hopefully, hopefully give us some encouragement and some answers about that. So as we begin here, verse 1, again, remember, well, I want to set the scene. I like to do movie. I should have been a movie producer, I guess. So let's set the scene. Let's figure out where we're at. Remember, we're in the courtyard with Peter, remember? And Peter was there, and Peter has denied the Lord, and the rooster has crowed. So all of that's going on in the courtyard. Now, listen, they've taken Jesus from Annas' house to Caiaphas' house, back to Annas' house. Now they've come back, and they've convened. And now, listen, the, the Sanhedrin is ready to convict him of, the sin, of, the, of what they call that he's done, the blasphemy, and send him away, and he's going to go through that courtyard again. So it tells us in, in verse 1, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. So now they've gathered together. Listen, before, I think they had most of the Sanhedrin. Now they have that body that I've talked about, the Sanhedrin. They waited at least till morning to pronounce a sentence. It's interesting that Matthew says they plotted against him and, 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 and plotted to put him to death. Now you have to remember, Matthew's a little biased and he's writing from after all of this took place. So as Matthew is writing this, he's saying that, but I want us to know it wasn't like they came together and go, hey, you guys got any idea how we can kill this guy? They came together with this in their hearts. This guy sinned against our God. We got to get him. That was most of them. Some of them, some of them, they were mad about what he had done for them financially and stuff. But bottom line, now you have all of them together and now they've convicted him. So it's about 6 a.m. And at 6 a.m., listen, it says in verse 2, and when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Pontius Pilate is a representative of Rome. And he's governor of Judea. Now, one thing, they're taking Jesus over to his house at 6 a.m. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like people showing up at 6 a.m. My wife one time, one time my wife threw me a surprise birthday party. We were living in Bisbee. We had a loft. We had the living room, dining room, kitchen area, and a loft. And she threw me a surprise birthday party at 5 a.m. I woke up to people singing happy birthday to me, and I'm in my bed. So that's my sweet wife. It was interesting. But anyway, so it's not cool. Listen, it's not cool to go to someone's house early in the morning. So they're going to Pilate's house, number one. But number two, I want us to think about what's happening here because there's a little bit of psychology going on by the chief priests, by these elders, and they're working, listen, they're working the people up into a frenzy. Why was Jesus bound up? 
hey, isn't Jesus the one that stopped Peter from fighting against him when they came to arrest him? He never resisted arrest. He never tried to pull away. As a matter of fact, he willingly went with them. As he's been in this courtyard the whole time, has he ever tried to escape? Has he ever tried to run off? No. Then why did they, and, and what's implied here is they chained him up. I think for one reason. Not that they were afraid he was going to escape. They want everybody in town to see this is a bad guy. Hey, when you go through, some of us have done this. When they slap cuffs on you, it's a little bit embarrassing, right? But man, when you're walking by people handcuffed, not cool. So Jesus is bound up and they're taking him. Now, you got to get a picture. Some of us have been to Israel. Some of us are getting ready to go to Israel. But in Israel, they have that. They have this great model. I think they should let it travel around the world. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, you need a room this big to put it in. And it's a model of the city. And so you get a picture. Down in this area over here is where all the aristocrats lived and hung out. And up here is the temple. It's quite a, quite a distance in that walled city. And, and the temple and the Antonio Fortress and stuff here. The aristocrats, that's Annas, Caiaphas, they were hanging out here in that courtyard. They had to take Jesus from here up to here all the way through town with those chains on him. Now you know what they're up to. They're up to getting the people to understand this is a condemned guy and we're getting him. They didn't have authority to put him to death, so their dilemma is how are we gonna convince Pontius Pilate to put this guy to death? So they send him to him, and I think they have a plan in the back of their mind, but something you need to realize. Pontius Pilate, I have to be really honest, I kind of feel sorry for the guy. The guy is caught in the middle here, man. He is in, a, he is in such a pickle and a predicament. Part of it is his own choosing, but you need to know something. As a Roman official, when you got sent to Judea, that was like, they don't like you anymore. You know how sometimes you, you, you know, in some situations you move people around and those you don't like, you give them the horrible worst duty ever. When you went to, listen, when you went to Judea, it was awful because the Jews, that Rome couldn't completely control the Jews because they wouldn't give up their religion. They wouldn't give up the worship of God. So it's always a dilemma. So he's having to walk a tightrope and he's gotten into some major trouble. Now we're gonna save that for later so you guys won't get up and leave. He's, he's done some things that have put him in this predicament. But now listen, they're taking Jesus there so they're on their way there and now the camera goes ahead of them and we're gonna go to the temple and check out what happens. It says in verse three, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver uh, to the chief priests and the elders. Wow. Did you see that coming? Now some of you are going, dude, I've read my Bible before. I know, but in life, is that normal? You see, you have this guy who sold out Jesus, betrayed him, and now he's changed his mind. Not his heart, but his mind. Big difference. You see here where it says he was remorseful, there's different Greek words. Up a few verses last week, Peter was sorry for what he did. 
That word is a Greek word that means you're sorry inside and you're changing inside. You're repenting, you're changing. The word they use here for Judas being sorry or remorseful is you're just sorry, you're just bummed out about the situation. I gotta tell you, when I was in high school, I was remorseful for things I did when I got caught, right? I wasn't sad that I did it, I was sad that I got caught, and I got caught a lot. I got away with a lot too. I was never sad for the things I got away with, but I was sad, that's kind of what's going on here. So he's got some guilt going on, and guilt is a motivator, but he's got guilt, right? We get, we get physical pain, so that our bodies can be taken care of and we don't push them too far and we don't do silly things. Well, guilt is that, that, that pain we need to correct us morally or spiritually and get us back on track. So he has this guilt, and I believe it's real guilt, and I believe he's really sorry because he saw Jesus get condemned. Here's what that tells me. Either Judas was in the same courtyard with Peter or maybe even he was in the room there with Caiaphas and the high priest. Maybe he was one of the guys who gave false testimony, but he was involved. Now he knows he's condemned and it's bumming him out. And he's having a hard time living with it. I heard a quote this morning that it's about sin. And this is where Judas is at. Number one, sin's always gonna take you further than you thought you were gonna go, always. Number two, sin is gonna make you stay longer than you ever intended. And number three, sin is gonna cost you way more than you thought you were gonna pay. So here he is, he's in that. Now, when I read, do you guys ever read your Bible and kind of pray it would change? I do. I'm like thinking, come on, man, come on. You're so close. Listen, this man is so close to repenting and getting saved, so close. And I cheer for him. Some of you go, no, I don't want him to change. I really want Judas to get saved at this point. Come on, do it, man, break. Here's the thing. He got remorseful, and where did he go? He went back to where the sin started. He should have gone to Jesus. He had the opportunity, Jesus was there. If he would have gone to Jesus, if he would have asked for forgiveness, if he would have come to him, Jesus would have forgiven him. The Bible says, listen, the Bible talks about this sorrow. It says, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but sorrow of the, word, or of the world produces death. And here he is, he's sorry for what he did, but not why he did it, and not what motivated him. So he goes back to the elders and the chief priests. That bums me. Dude, go to Jesus. Listen to me carefully. When you sin, you need to go to Jesus. You need to not run from Jesus. You need to go to Jesus. My Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And then here's my favorite part. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that. And so I want him to do that. But he goes back to them and then it tells us, listen, he went back to them, look at verse four, saying I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Here's what he's saying, man, that guy is innocent. 
He's not going to be the only one that says it. Pretty soon Herod's going to say it, and then Pilate's going to say it, and he's going to be declared innocent three or four times, but everybody's ignoring that. But here's the guy who betrayed him, who brought him in, and here's what he said, man. I betrayed innocent blood. I think maybe he even testified, now he's regretting that. And he says, hey, he, he says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And here's what they said to him, tough. You did it, it's over with. There's that sin, man. Sin traps us. Sin puts us in a place where we can't get out. And now he's stuck. Hey, you sinned, you're in trouble, and we don't care. Have you ever noticed that people in the world scatter pretty quick when things go down? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Years ago, we had a, a, a guy who fellowshiped with us. He moved away but he fellowshiped with us, and he was, before he got saved, he was a hardcore, he was in a hardcore bike gang. Hardcore. And I talked to him, and he said, you know, the thing I love about Christianity is you guys really are family. All the bikers say they're family, and they act like family till the heat comes. And when the heat comes, it's every man for himself. Hey, we're not supposed to do that, Christians. When the heat comes, we need to lock arms, we need to stand together, we need to be there for each other. So listen, man, here's what they do to Judas. Oh yeah, we paid you, but you're on your own, bro. We're not gonna touch that. So Judas reacts, here's what it says, man. They say, hey, you deal with it yourself, verse five. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. Does that bum you when you read that? Every time I read that, I kind of get this thing in my gut, like, man, it's horrible. It's horrible. What did Corinthians say? Sorrow of the world leads to death. Guilt. You see, I believe a lot of people commit suicide over guilt. They can't stand the guilt. They can't live with that. And he become overwhelmed with it. I believe that's what happened to him. And he went out and he hanged himself. He committed suicide. In our generation right now, I don't think I have to really say it. I think we know suicide's an epidemic. It is breaking my heart. And it's not just the world. Listen, it's in the church. And it's become, it's become to me, an issue that as the church, we probably need to step up and start talking about it. We don't need to hide it in the corner. We don't need, to, don't need to treat it like it's something we don't talk about. Let's talk about it. Let's be open about it. And let's pray that God would use us in people's lives to, to change. Listen, I, I believe, I believe there's so many different reasons why people take their life. Oh, people think, some people, some people, guilt, we said. Some people think the world, and most of them doing it, they think the world would be better off without them. Some people, chronic pain, man, they just can't live with it anymore. Some people, it's not physical pain, but it's, it's spiritual or, or, or emotional pain and damage. And they, they become so overwhelmed and so burdened that they think the only way out is to take their life and get out and get out of everybody's way. People that I've talked to, who have been on the verge of suicide. And I've been blessed. I've been able to talk to a few people out of it. 
But people I've talked to that's been on the verge of suicide, their number one thing they say is, everyone would be better off without me. That is not true. Suicide is gonna do something to your family and friends that they will never get over. And I tell them that every time. I say, you do this. I was talking to a lady on the phone that was ready to take the pills. I said, you take those pills. Your husband, your parents, they're never gonna get over this, ever, ever. You think you're in the way, but that's a lie from the enemy, and you need to understand. Praise the Lord, I got to talk to her, and she quit and put it away. But listen, you and I need to be people who are open to that. The problem is a lot of people act like suicide is some unpardonable sin and we, we kind of, we want to stay away from it. We act like maybe it's contagious or something and it's an unpardonable sin. Every time we do a Q&A on Thursday nights, every time this question comes up, if a person commits suicide, can they go to heaven? I tell people, if they're a believer, Yes. And they tell me, you know, they, they say, why, isn't it a sin? Suicide is sin. It is. Taking a life is sin. But it's not the unpardonable sin. Hey, listen, right now, right now, if this building collapsed and killed all of us, how many of you are going to die with sin? Uh, thank you. Sin isn't what keeps you out of heaven. What keeps you out of heaven is rejecting Jesus Christ. Now, hey, I'm not saying let's all go sin and be happy. I, wanna, I want my sin. I want short accounts. I don't want to deal with sin when I get to Jesus face to face. So I want to get my sin under his blood. But my point is, yes, it's sin, but that doesn't exclude them from heaven. Now, having said that, though, here's my dilemma. When I say that, I'm afraid some people are going to say, well, then what's the use? But that's not the point. Why are we in this dilemma in our country so bad? In our culture, even in, you know, worldwide culturally, what has changed in the last 50 years that is causing such a rampant, uh, 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 I can't even think of the word right now, increase in suicides? What? I think it's this one simple thing. We have devalued human life. And it started with this, abortion. If you don't have a problem killing a little innocent baby, so what's the big deal about taking a life? And we've done that, and, and hey, we need to own that and we need to realize that. But we need to get with people, and one, one thing we need to tell them is they're made in the image of God and they're valuable and Jesus loves them. And then we need to tell people this big thing, there's always, always hope in Jesus Christ. Always. Didn't we just sing? He brings light into darkness? Well, he does. And I don't care how dark your situation is. I don't care how horrible it is. You get Jesus in the midst of it, you're going to see a little bit clearer. So you and I need to push people and bring people to Jesus. Many of you know I do a pottery presentation and it's about the Christian life and it's about being broken and, and, and shattered and we'll talk about some of that in a moment. But listen, I have been blessed two times, two times I know of specifically and I was contacted afterwards. I didn't know while I was doing it. I did the pottery presentation. One time in Northern California, a lady came to that presentation who had left her home that morning, left a suicide note, got in her car, came to church, was gonna leave church and go commit suicide 
And when she realized there was hope in Jesus Christ, she turned away from that. Hallelujah, huh? Another time in Albuquerque it happened. And, and again, I didn't know. People called me and said, hey, these people came forward and told us they were going to end their life today. You and I, listen, we, we have an obligation to let people know there is hope because they're dealing with hopelessness. So we need to ask God to use us. We need to not act like it's bad. You know, hey, don't, don't talk like people doing suicide and like there's some kind of, you know, uh, weird pervert or whatever. Hey, if somebody tells you they're thinking of c- killing themselves, you need to grab a hold of them. And you need to sit and talk with them. And you maybe need to talk with them for hours, maybe days, maybe weeks, maybe months. You're kind of getting what I'm saying. Don't let them get alone. Now, having said that, we also, I want to I I emphasize this. Someone taking their life is not your fault. Even though you may feel that, it's not your fault. You didn't do it. So there's a lot of, a lot of working parts to this, right? But my point this morning is, let's bring it out in the light. You see, when you bring things out in the light, the fear, the, the unknown, all of that begins to disappear and the light begins to shine on it. And we have an obligation as believers to do that. And we have an obligation and then to minister to people who are, are victims of those who have taken their life to be there for them. So Judas, back to, the, back to this. I just, I just really felt burdened this weekend to talk about that because of him. So Judas hanged himself. Bummer for him, huh? Then again, I read this and I think it could have been different. Now, some of you, you've read in the book of Acts and you said, how come in the book of Acts it says he fell headlong and his guts, his stomach burst open and his guts spilled out? Did he do that or did he hang himself? And it's kind of implied like he jumped off a cliff. And they go, which one did he do? And I said, well, I think he did both. I personally think he hung himself. And maybe it was a weak branch, maybe something went on and he fell and his guts burst out. Maybe he hung there for a day, kind of bloated up. I know that's kind of gross to think about, right? And maybe through body decay, things broke, he fell, out comes the guts. But in there it also says, and he bought a field. He, He bought a field. Now we're gonna find out he didn't purchase a field, but the money he used bought the field. So there, there's the answer for that. Now, let's continue on. It says, verse six, but the chief priests took their silver pieces and said, now something I want you to kind of pay attention to. Those guys that were cohorts with him in sin, care less that he killed himself. It's nothing on us. Think about that. Man, they're letting him go, and they were the, you know, they were his partners in crime. The chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. Now, I read that, and I kind of snicker to myself, like these guys have broken so many laws to convict Jesus. Now they get this money, and now they're all holy. Sometimes I get mad at holy people. They like act all that like, look at I got, I'm not touching that. That's blood money. And I'm thinking, you're convicting an innocent man and you're just like going through that just like nothing. And no, I'm not touching that money. I don't like these guys, you can kind of tell. So listen, they said, hey, we're not gonna do this. So here's, and you know what, legalists, these kind of people, they're always scheming, right? 
So they figured out a way, how can we deal with this? So verse seven, and they consulted together. I would like to say they schemed together. They consulted together and they bought, and, and they bought with them the 30 pieces of silver, the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Here's what they did. I know we'll take that money and we'll buy this potter's field and we'll bury, you know, people who can't afford anything or strangers in it. And look how nice we look. Look how wonderful. We're such wonderful people. Blech. Now, the potter's field is interesting for me, being a potter. The potter's field is interesting because in that culture at that time, they would do their work, fire their pieces, and not when, even when I made pottery, maybe 85% of your stuff makes it through the fire. You're gonna have a 15 to 20% loss that's gonna crack, things are gonna happen, and it's no good. And so if you were honest, now they had some dishonest guys who would rub wax in the crack and stuff and try and make it look okay. But if you were an honest potter, when you unloaded your kiln, you would look at it and say, well, this isn't any good. And you'd chunk it in the pot, chunk it, chunk it in the field behind you. Now there are somebody, I, I was reading a guy, it always upsets me when we talk about things we're not experts on or we know very little about. It's like, it would be like me trying to tell you how to, you know, engineer something and build a bridge. I don't know how to build a bridge. And this guy wrote, and here's what he said. You need to understand, all you have to do is take that clay, get it hot, and mix water with it, and then you'll have soft, pliable clay. Not true. That's absolute. That is a word. No, once clay has been fired, you can't take it back. It won't absorb water, it won't turn back, and that's why they would throw it. Listen, that's why they'd throw it in the field, and then the field got full of pot chards, and the only thing it's good for is now, a couple millenniums later, we can go dig up pot chards and go, yes, we got something, or to bury strangers in, you can't grow anything in it. So listen, as a potter, you always examine your work before you put it in the kiln. That's the oven. And if you have a piece of work that has a crack in it, here's what you do. And you break it. Why? Why do you break it? You break it because it's going to get ruined in that fire. You break it and then you can add water to it and you can get it soft and pliable and you can get it ready and you can make it better than it was before. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. And trust me, if God knows you're cracked, he's going to break you. And some of you feel broken now. You feel like you're just a mess on the floor, a bunch of you know, broken pieces of pottery. You need to know something, man. God is going to work in you. There is hope in Jesus Christ. So they bought this potter's field to bury indigent people in, strangers in, and they made them feel good. And then Matthew quotes this, verse nine, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they, the children of Israel, priced, and they gave them the 30 pieces of silver for the potter's fill, as the Lord directed me. Do you guys have Bibles with footnotes? What does your footnote say about that passage? You can say it out loud. Zechariah, yeah, huh. And what did Matthew say? Wow. Now we got a dilemma, right? That is a quote from Zechariah. If you've been with our studies on Thursday night, we just read that. That is a quote from Zechariah. 
And you're going, why did Jeremiah do that? Why did Matthew say Jeremiah? Was Matthew wrong? Be careful. I don't think our Bibles are wrong. I don't believe our Bibles contain error. So what's going on here? Well, my Bible, I don't know who did my footnotes. By the way, footnotes, they're not, they're not inspired of God. My footnote guy contributed this to Jeremiah chapter 32. I'm thinking, like, that is the worst footnote ever. Jeremiah chapter 32 is when Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah is preaching to the people, they're getting ready to go into exile and he's telling them, it's gonna be okay, just do what God is telling us, go into exile, everything will be great and God says, Jeremiah, go buy that field at Anathoth that belongs to your cousin and Jeremiah's like, dude, that is worthless property, why would I ever wanna buy that? And God said, don't argue with me, just go buy it. Does that sound like what we just read in Matthew? Not even close. And I'm thinking, you're stretching there for that footnote. So it is Zechariah, but why does Matthew say Jeremiah said it? Could be a couple things. Number one, he said Jeremiah spoke this. Jeremiah could have spoken this and it not been recorded. Not everything Jeremiah said was recorded and written down. Could be that. I think that's a little stretch. I think the most reasonable explanation is this. With the Jews, like, like we, have, we have our Bibles kind of in parts, right? We have the Old Testament, the New Testament. And, and some of ours are, ours are organized where, you know, kind of the historical books are together and uh, the writings of poetic books and then uh, the prophets are together. The Jews had three categories of writings for them. The first category was the law. The law contained the first five books of the Bible. And generally, that would often be on one scroll. And it would have it, and it would do this. So a Jew would say, the law says, and he could be quoting Genesis, or he could be quoting Deuteronomy. But he would say, the law says. So it covered those five books. Then the next category, they called the writing, which would be Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, you know, maybe even some of the historical books, but they would call those the writings. And oftentimes, they would say, in the writing, and again, they could be quoting a various amount of books. Then the last group was called the prophets. And they had some of the historical, but mostly the prophets. But here's an interesting caveat. At the beginning of their book of prophets, or scroll, they always put Jeremiah first. So often they would say, Jeremiah says, and they're just quoting any prophet in there. I believe that's the greatest explanation of what's going on. I don't think Matthew made a mistake. I don't think he misquoted. I think he knew exactly what he was saying. So that kind of resolves that. Now, don't think your Bible has mistakes. So we got that. Now, all of that's going on. Now the camera pans back to, where did we leave off? Jesus going to Pilate. We're going to only do one verse. I know we're going to go uh, down to 26, but something you need to know, our bulletin is not inspired of God and inerrant. I just, I thought I'd put that out there. So, okay, so look at verse 11, because I want to do this. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yep, er. I am. We'll study this more next week, but back to what the whole thing going on. You need to understand, and, and we'll talk more. 
Jesus went to Pilate, and Pilate sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back. Jesus was kind of the hot potato of the political scene. Neither one of them wanted to deal with this. Pilate didn't want to deal with this for this specific reason. He was in trouble with Rome. Pilate, when he first went, so remember I said you got sent to Judea, you got sent to Jerusalem. That was a bad bad gig. That was the one you didn't want to get sent to. Well, he got sent there, and right away he blows it. He's trying to make an impression, trying to do good. He marches the army in. They have their standards with their flags on them, with Caesar's emblem up there, and they walk right into the temple area. Not good. And the Jews went bonkers. How dare you do this? That's why you don't want to govern the Jews. The Jews went crazy. He rounded a whole bunch up. I think someone said up to upwards of 2,000. Took them to Caesarea, told them to recant and straighten up or he would cut their heads off. So they all laid down and bared their neck and said, go for it, dude. We're not changing. Well, now he's got a dilemma, right? So he backed off. And he let this in, and, uh, and then he had to back off of that, and then he had to remove those standards from the temple area. Not good. The Jews tweeted <laughs> that they had, they had done good, and they outlasted him, and Caesar got word of it. Then the next thing he does is, so I think he's trying to, he's trying to make good with Herod the Great, the architect, Herod. Herod's building an aqueduct from Caesarea all the way to Jerusalem. It's amazing. When you go there and see it, it's amazing because the way it goes, looks like it's going uphill. But he builds this thing all the way to bring water, and he needed a little financing. So Pilate took money out of the temple treasury to pay for that. The Jews got on Instagram this time, took pictures. This is what he's doing with their money. Herod's saying, not good. So now he's in, uh, not Herod, I mean Caesar. So now he's in big trouble with Caesar. So here's what Pilate does. Pilate goes, man, I'm in big trouble with Caesar, and I made the Jews mad, so I might as well go all the way. So he takes their shields that they have, puts the emblem of Caesar on there, and now they walk into the temple again. And the Jews didn't even listen. They didn't even riot or anything. They just instantly got a hold of Caesar and said, this guy is out of his mind. And all he's trying to do is make Caesar happy. And Caesar said, dude, get my face off of those shields and one more time, listen carefully, one more time, you're out. Oh. Now what's going on? You get this huge dilemma during what time of the year? Passover? And you've got to make a decision on this guy who's popular with the people who the chief priests hate and they're trying to make you make this decision to execute him? No wonder he sent him to Herod. So that's for next week. So for homework, you've got to read John 18. I've told you to read that a couple weeks in a row. One more time. Got to read John 18 and I'll give you a little lesson. Then read, read Luke chapter 23 because you're going to find out the Herod. Herod comes in in Luke, or Luke chapter 23. The conversation that, that uh, Matthew gives one verse of is about 15 verses in John chapter 18. Hey, a whole bunch went on between Jesus and Herod. So read those for homework. We'll talk about them. We'll get involved and we'll see what happens. But as we get ready to leave today, I want us to think deeply 
about our responsibility to people who are hurting. Because we need to know, saints, we need to know, people who are on the verge of suicide are hurting. They're not crazy people. They're not worthless people. They're hurting individuals. Somebody made in the image of God that is hurting, you and I have a responsibility to reach out to them. Let's make a difference, huh? Let's stand up and pray.